Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. Open it up to the book of 3 John, way in the back, man. Right close to the book of Revelation. We're going to spend ah, two or three weeks in this little book. The Lord gave me an outline for a series in this some years ago. Felt like now's the time to kind of bring it out and do what it is that he's asked us to do with it. The book of 3 John. The theme of it, if you're taking notes, is, is what I call church people. That's the theme of this little book, church people. Some things to note while you're turning. First of all, I want you to note the brevity. The brevity of this book. Man, 14 short verses. 14 powerful verses. Man, you... You know, you really don't have to say a lot to say a lot, do you? You really don't have to say a lot to to say a lot. John says under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to us a lot today. I think of short words like no, stop, or help. Man, those things mean something, don't they? Short, but but power-packed. And that's the nature of this little epistle. I heard one parishioner say of his pastor, our preacher preaches what I call cattle sermons. He says he's got a point over here and a point over there, and in between's nothing but a bunch of bull. How many of y'all here? Hey, hey, I know. Y'all wish I'd cut to the chase some days, and let's get to the point. That's what John does in this little epistle, a brief man. I think one of the most powerful things that John says, uh, several of them in this book are this, I love you. He says, I know you. He says, thank you. So a powerful. Powerful, short phrases. Secondly, not just the brevity. I want you to note the author of this little epistle. That's worthy of note as you're turning. It's the Apostle John, the aged. It's the Apostle John. He calls himself the elder in the first verse. And and he might be my favorite, I guess, of of all the apostles. I love his writings. What do you love about him, Pastor? Well, we got to note that John has always been a Jesus guy. He's just a Jesus guy. When you look at his writings and the things that he puts forth, you see Jesus in them and through them from from stem to stern. He's all about Jesus. He's not really about John. He's about Jesus all the time. You look in the gospel, that may be the, the most personal picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that exists is the gospel of John. You look at the book of Revelation just shortly after this little epistle that he wrote. If you'll notice, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's really to John, not about the end times. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about for, for John. Even in these epistles, we see that Jesus is the theme through and through and through. I love John because he's a, a Jesus guy. In church, we've got to be Jesus people. We've got to be a Jesus church. That's who we've got to be. It can't be about anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's John through and through. Secondly, I want you to not only was he a Jesus guy, we've got to note that he's a, a love guy. And man, I like that. That is me. Man, he talks about love all the time. He's not afraid to say, I love you. He's not afraid to put that out there. Man, he penned what might be the most impacting verse, the most well-known verse in all of the canon of Scripture in John chapter 3 and verse 16. And it's not a verse about the justice of God. It's not a verse about the wrath of God. It's a verse about what? The love of God. He says that God so what? 
Love the world. Aren't you glad that he loved you today? John is a love guy through and through. And that's me to the core. Man, I love the, the fact that in his first epistle, he said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to, to love one another. Even in this little epistle right here, he tells us over and over and over. He says to Gaius, I love you. I truly love you. I want to tell you something, church. I don't believe you're ever going to legislate anybody into the kingdom of an almighty God. You're not going to do it. I don't believe you're ever going to hate anybody. Somebody brought that to me this week and it impacted me. I don't ever see an example of somebody being hated into the kingdom of God. I tell you, the only way that we're going to reach lost and dying women and see them born into the kingdom of God is by loving them with the love of Almighty God in us and through us. You'll only love them into the kingdom. That's all it works. John is a, a love, love guy. He uses the word beloved over and over five times in this little epistle. You know what that word means? It means specially loved. It means highly regarded. It means held as closely to the heart as possible. He wasn't afraid to say, guys, I love you. He was a love guy. Thirdly, you got to note he was a truth guy. We're going to read this entire epistle in a minute. And you're going to see that he uses the word truth over and over and over. He uses it seven times in 14 short verses. He uses the word truth. He calls truth that divine light. In the light of the revelation of God, who are we? He's saying we need to be real and not put on. He's saying we've got to be genuine and sincere and not play acting. He's saying, I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for that genuine thing. I'm looking for that real thing. When exposed to the light of God's divine revelation, what is that thing that bears out truth? I had a seminary professor on one occasion. He relayed this story. He said, man, I, I, when I was uh, young and poor, he said, now I'm old and poor, I'm teaching seminary. But he said, when I was young and poor, I got a, a little mid-60s Pontiac Tempest was my mode of, of transportation. How many of y'all remember a mid-60s Pontiac Tempest? I'm old enough to say I can barely remember those things. I didn't live in those days able to drive them, but I can remember them. He said, man, that was my mode of transportation. He said it got hit and just about tore the front end, slam off of it. And he said, man, I, I had an uncle that owned a body shop and I, I got it to him and, and he came to me and said, son, I, I can't find a Tempest to replace all these parts. But he said, in the back, I got a GTO and that stuff will work out really good. I, I'll just get it and I'll hang that GTO stuff on here and we'll be all right. He said, man, that car went from being nothing to being something. He said, everywhere I drove it, everybody came up to me, man, what a GTO. Boy, that's a pretty car. How long have you had that thing? Tell me the story about that GTO. Where'd you get it? What have you done to it? How does it, man, tell me all about it. He said, man, when Ned walked up to me, I wouldn't let on at all that that was an old Pontiac Tempest. He said, I made up the best stories I could possibly make up about that GTO that was mine. He said, the only bad part about it was with the GTO skin and the GTO badging, it was still nothing but a Pontiac Tempest underneath. And you see what John is saying, don't do that in your life. Send boo who you really are. I'm looking for that real thing. I'm looking for that genuine thing. John was concerned about the truth. He was a, a truth guy. And church, I believe that's what prompted the writing of this letter. I believe that's what moved him to write this letter about church people, the theme of it. About church people. Even when I say that word, and I'm saying it over and over on purpose this morning, <laughs> the words church people, doesn't that conjure up an image in your mind? It surely does. Everybody has an idea of what a, a church person 
really is. Everybody has an image of what it means to be a, a church person. You know, the world certainly has an opinion. They look at us and they think, man, there's what a church person is. And I shudder to think what they think a church person really is. Do you know it's not the world's opinion I'm interested in? And it's not even really our opinion I'm interested in. It's God's opinion I'm interested in. What does He say? What does He tell us today that we ought to be as His people? How should we conduct ourselves in the house of the living God? What is it that He looks for? And what does it, is it that He thinks a church person really is? And it's what He thinks, beloved, that matters the most. Can I get an amen? It's what He really thinks that matters the most. John here, under the Spirit's leadership, tells us there are really only three kinds of people in the church. He tells us there's really only three kinds. And man, He's not afraid to call them right by their name. He uses living, breathing subjects to describe their character. In verses 1 through 8, he uses Gaius. In verses 9 through 11, he uses Diotrephes. In verses 12 through 14, he turns to Demetrius. And we're going to read this book together. I want you to open it up where you are. And as we're reading it, I want you to note something and have something in your mind as we walk through this together in the next few weeks. We will find each of these people, one of each of these people, some of them are in every church. You're going to find some of these people in every church. Secondly, I want you to note this. We will find a bit of every one of these people in us. As we read through this, we're going to find that some of these characteristics stick out in our very own lives. We're going to find a bit of them. A bit of each one of them within ourselves. Thirdly, I believe this is true. You'll find yourself in at least one place predominantly. You're going to find one of these that means more to you, that jumps out to you, that describes you better than all the others really do. I want you to write this down. If you don't take notes, you ought to write this down somewhere. This series is not for others. It's for me. This series is not for others. It's easy to sit by and say, Good night, I'm glad he preached on that today, brother so-and-so. Gosh, he needed to hear that. Praise be unto God, he finally preached on that. It's easy to do. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to look at yourself. Say, Lord, what are you saying to me in and through this? What are you saying to me? So let's read this passage together. John, the elder, under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Here's that word, beloved. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth you'll find there john is good at this he's a master of this under the leadership of the holy spirit he tucks truths throughout everything that he writes just little gems that we'll try to look at as we come to him verse three for i rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee even as thou walkest in the truth i have no greater joy than to hear that my children Walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity or of your love before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Verse 7, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. Verse 8, where we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers, an important word, 
to the truth. Verse 9, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and, and content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would. And he cast them out of the church. Verse 11, beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil, here's another one of those jewels, has not even seen God. Demetrius has a good report of how many men? All men. And of the truth itself. Yea, we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee. Verse 14, but I trust I shall see you shortly. I, I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak. What does he say? You ever had anybody say, we need to have a face-to-face to you? Ever had, hey, man, sometimes that's not good. And in this context, John is saying, I'm going to come and see you. And we're going to talk about these things face-to-face. Peace be unto you. Our friends salute you. Greet the friends by name. Three people. We'll look at the first one quickly today. One service. I'm like Ed. I hope we get out. My clock already says 15 minutes to one. So, hey, I feel like we're doing really good today. So, man, we'll get out of here really quick. Let's look at the first one and consider him. He's what I call the helping person. If you look in the church, you're going to find some people that are just a help all the time. You're going to find some people that are just positive. You're going to find some people that are just building. You're going to find some people that always leave you feeling better than when you first came in contact with them. That every encounter seems to help you along the line. That they're, they're behind the scenes doing the things that need to be done just to further the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gaius is perhaps the supreme example of what it means to be a helping person in the church of God. His name literally means this, of the earth or down to earth as you might say. And isn't it fitting that, that the name is chosen down to earth as an example of the highest possible emblematic person of what a helper really ought to be. It's something to me that this down to earth person is sought out as an example to us to say, man, this is the kind of person I really love. This is the kind of person the church needs and this is the kind of person that people are drawn to that that helping person in the church there are three things of note you say am i a helping person well i'm going to give you three things to check in your life today three characteristics of a real helping person how many of y'all in your mind when i even talk about that know of somebody like that how many of y'all would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I know of not just one. I know of two or three or five or ten or a hundred. Listen, I'm thankful to God for the people of God who are just a help to the children of God, aren't you? That's this man, guys. Three characteristics. Number one, I want you to notice relationships. You know your relationships sometimes tell the tale. And when you get right down to it, aren't relationships really the only eternal things we have on this planet? Aren't they really the most important things that we have? I like ACC basketball. I must admit, I hope North Carolina wins the national championship this year as it appears they may not be playing one for one for a long time. I mean, y'all hear what I'm saying? I hope they do. I must admit that. I saw a panel on TV the other day of, of the ACC coaches, a, a rather powerful basketball conference as the day has it. 
There were four coaches sitting there. One coach is at Duke, the winningest coach of all time, Mike Krzyzewski. The other guy was sitting there, coaches at Syracuse, Coach Bayheim, pretty winning coach in and of himself. There was Carolina's coach in the Carolina Blue, Mr. Roy Williams, sitting there. And man down there on the end was the newcomer who's won a few games in, in his time, Rick Patino, coaches the Louisville Cardinals. They had them all sitting there in a panel. And I thought, my soul, man, collectively, what is setting there in basketball lore? I mean, what is setting there? So I did a little research on these four coaches. I want to I give you some stats. Between those four guys, they represent 3,348 wins in college basketball between those four guys. Think about that. Almost over 3,300 wins in college basketball. Coach K, man alive, he's been, uh, let's see here, he's won the season or tournament championship 25 times. 11 times he has been to the uh, Final Four. Four times won the national championship. Think about that. Coach Bayheim, 21, uh, 16 times he's won the season or tournament championship. Five times been to the Final Four, won national championship to his credit. Roy Williams, 21 season or tournament championships. And he and Coach K been swapping them back and forth for a little while. 21 season or tournament championships. Seven times been to the Final Four. Two national championships under his belt. Coach Patino, 22 season or tournament championships. Seven times to the Final Four. Two national championships to his credit. Listen to this collectively. These four men represent 84 season or tournament championships in their conferences, 20 Final Four appearances, and between them, nine times they have won the national championship of college basketball. They asked them all kinds of questions, and the last one that they asked them was most telling to me. Jay Billis was doing the interview, and he said to him, Boys, what do you remember the most? He said, guys, what do you remember the most? What's your most favorite? Well, what's the thing that sticks with you? Which championship is it? Which basketball game is it? Which victory is it? Which trophy is it that's setting in your office that means the most to you? And Roy Williams, in the way only Roy can say it, he said, it, Jay, dadgummit, I, I know this sounds awful corny, but it don't have anything to do with any of that. He says it has to do with the relationship." He said, what I remember most is those kids that I get to hug. What I remember most is those people that I've worked with. What I remember most is those people that I've met along the way. And these men that are sitting in this room, heated rivals. rivals but what a, what a blessing to have a relationship with them like I did. And church, we'd do well to understand that what means most in this house today is the relationships. What's going to be most impacting in your life are the relationships that God brings into it. It's not going to really be, to me, any message I've preached. It's not going to be any, any person I've led to the Lord. It's not going to be any baptismal service. It's not going to be any worship time. It's going to be person after person after person that God brought across my path that I remember. I believe we'll spend eternity in glory talking about the relationships that we have one with another. And the most precious relationship that we'll ever have is what? A personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what will tell the tale if you're a helper? You'll have precious relationships in your life. Look what John says in verses 1 and 2. He says, man, guys, I love you. 
I truly love you. Look at verse 2. He said, man, I wish above all things that you prosper even as your soul prospers. It was his wish for him that he on the outside did just as well as he was doing on the inside. John said, I love you. Beloved, do people love you? Do you have folks that care for you? Do you have folks that come alongside you? Then the, then the nature of your life is one of a helper. Man, you start helping people. And you start to see the relationships in your life begin to blossom and grow. John said, man, I love you. I love you in the truth. I truly love you in the truest sense of the word. And Man, I desire that you prosper. When you have relationships with someone, your desire is that they do well. And I want you to note something, just one truth that I'm going to give you in passing here. Prosperity of the soul comes first, beloved. There are people in this world taking verse 2 of this little epistle and twisting it and teaching that, man, you ought to prosper, you ought to be rich, you ought to have the biggest bank account. That's what John desired, that's what God desires, and that's what you ought to expect from him. And that is not what he's saying at all here. You know what he's saying is, I know you're okay in spirit. That comes first. That's the determinative factor. He's saying, I know that your soul is prospering. And I just pray that man outside of you got a little bit of that soul prosperity rubbing off on it. It has nothing to do with riches. has nothing to do with wealth. Does God bless us with those things? Oh, yes, He does. But that's not the aim. If I could choose soul prosperity or material prosperity today, I'd choose prosperity of the soul every time. And John's saying that's the determinative factor. You ought to write that down when you hear these guys preaching on TV. You ought to write that down. It has nothing to do with what they're trying to make it have something to do with. He's saying, I thank you. I'm glad for you. I love you. Proud you're in my life. Glad to have a relationship with you. That's more precious to me than anything in this world. I know that your spirit's good. And man, my prayer is the Lord just blesses you parallel on the outside to the way that He's just blessed you on the inside. Relationships, man... Am I a helper, pastor? Look to the mature people in your life, spiritually. Look to them and see what they're saying about you. Man, I'd love to have the Apostle John saying of me, I love you. I'm thankful for you. And man, I'm glad you're prospering in spirit. And I hope the Lord just blesses you in every other way in your life. Relationships. Check them out. Second thing I want you to see beyond the relationship is this. Look at the reputation that he had among the brethren. Verses 3 and 4 bleed with his reputation. He says, man, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and, and what did they do? They testified of the truth that was in thee even as thou walkest in the truth. Verse 4 says, I have no greater joy. There's nothing that makes me happier than to hear that my children, emblematic of the fact that he had probably led this young man to the Lord, at least... He sees him as his spiritual son. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. His reputation. Now, you have a reputation today. You remember that? Oh, she has a reputation. Or he has a reputation. People, let me tell you, you have a spiritual reputation today. Somewhere, somehow, some way. Somebody's saying something about you. They see a bit of the church in you. And you have a spiritual reputation. I want to give you just one caution before I begin to speak to you a little bit on this idea. Don't you ever judge. I heard it well said and I've never forgotten it. Don't judge a man in the moment. Don't judge a man or a woman in the moment. I heard that well said and I've never forgot it. Nobody's perfect. Don't take one thing that somebody says or does and man lock onto that and just say, well, that's who they are. Right there, I got proof positive finally. Don't do it. That's the way the enemy works. 
What John's talking about is here, he says, I hear it over and over and over again from person after person after person that you have love for the brethren. I hear it. He's saying that's the reputation that you have. He's saying, I hear it over and over consistently and clearly that the truth, that you're real inside, that you have grasped the divine revelation of God. And not only do you have it on the inside in verse 3, he says, man, it comes out of you. In verse 4, he says, that makes me so happy that that is your reputation. He even says this, what a statement. There's nothing, he essentially says, there's nothing that makes me happier than to hear that you're walking in such a manner in your life. You know, as a parent, there's nothing that makes you happier than a good report on your kid. Isn't that right? There ain't a thing in this world that brings you more joy than to hear by some third party that your kid did something good. I know as a parent, let me tell you, I, I empathize with you. I know as a parent, usually when a third party calls you and says, let me talk to you about your kid, it's generally not to give them a word of praise. It's generally to tell you what awful thing they've done out there in the world. No kid is perfect. Here again, I'm going to apply that. Don't you judge anybody in the moment. There's not a one of us sitting in here that could stand that kind of examination. Don't put it on anybody else, and especially don't put it on their kids. If you want to make them mad, just call them up and start talking bad about about their kids and you'll have an enemy in just a heartbeat, beloved, I guarantee you. John said, it makes me happy to hear that you're doing good. I have an email that I save, you know, uh, about one of my little daughters. I, again, I know they're not perfect. Man, they've got me for a dad. They've got their mom. Thanks be unto God. But they've got me. There's no way they could be very perfect. I got a little email I save about one of them that somebody took the time to write and send me. I said, Pastor, I know what it must be like to live in the household of the preacher. And I know what kind of pressure must be on those two little girls, but I wanted to take a minute and tell you that I saw one of your girls doing this the other day, and he went to enumerate what it was. He said, she didn't know I was there, but I watched how she conducted herself and how she handled herself. And he said, man, you could see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and His compassion flowing through her, you ought to be proud of the Christian girl that she is. Beloved, when I get a little depressed, I open up that email and I read it. And you know what? There ain't anything on this planet that makes this dad happier than to hear that one of his children's walking in truth. You know, church, as I go through this community, people brag on who you are. And I can't tell you a more proud thing in a pastor's life than for somebody to come to him and say, you know, brother so-and-so, man, he did this for me. He didn't have to. You know, sister so-and-so, I needed somebody so bad, and I called her, and there she was. You know, pastor, those people are smiling. They're happy. They're helping, and they're pouring themselves into their community. I'm here today to tell you, church, there's nothing in this world that makes me happier than to hear that you are out there, not just in here, but that you're out there walking in the truth that it is in you and man that it's flowing through you I wish today that you'd give the Lord a praise for how he is at work in this house and through this people bringing other people to the understanding that church people aren't just acting like they're baptized and living juice 24-7 but they're happy and ministering as they go along I love you 
Say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm a helping person? Let me tell you something. A church that stands back and criticizes does not have that kind of reputation in its community. It doesn't. But a church that will get out there where the people are and love them and minister to them, let me tell you, they'll have that kind of reputation. What is your spiritual reputation, man? Am I a helper? Man, if you are, your spiritual reputation is going to shine through and people are going to say, man, 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 what a bunch of folks that is down there. I'm glad today this is a real house. Thirdly, and i got to close. Not only the relationships will tell the tale, how do those who are around you really feel about you? What is, or do they love you? I mean, how does that mature person look at you? What kind of relationships have you developed? Secondly, your reputation. Begin to check it. What's the hallmark? Not the momentary thing, but what's that hallmark of your life that people say about you over and over and over? Thirdly, I want you to look at his resume, and i got to go fast. I want you to look at his resume. That's in verses 5 through 8. Gaius wasn't all talk. He had some substantial actions, if you will, to prove who he was. First of all, he was faithful. He was faithful. That's what John says of him in verse 5. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. He was faithful to Christian preachers. He was faithful to preachers he, did, he had just met. That's the, the context of this little part, of the, the middle part, the meat of this book is, man, how have you received those traveling preachers who have come by? He said, I've heard time and time again how faithful you have been when they've come by to meet their need and to send them on down the line with what they need in their hands as they go. I want you to know something. It's of paramount importance how you handle the men and women of God. It's of paramount importance in your life what you do in handling the men, the called men and women of God as they serve. Over and over in the Word, we see that we're instructed to take care of them, to bless them, to watch after them, and to men minister into their hearts and lives. And that was really the occasion of this epistle. And he says to, to Gaius, man, I have heard that you are faithful. I'm going to try to apply this to you very succinctly. There's a great deal of difference between being a person of faith and a person of faithfulness. A great deal of difference. You can be a person of faith simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God. How simple it is today. To have a relationship with the Lord. Just place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just come to Him with a broken heart and a repentant heart and say, Lord, I believe that you died for me. I believe that they buried you. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. And I'm placing my faith in you. That's, that's a person of faith. But, but beloved, beyond that is where the determination comes of your faithfulness. And you see this young man, John says, I know that you are a person not only of faith, but you're a person of faithfulness. What does that mean? That means when the opportunity arose, he took it. When the opportunity arose before him to bless the man of God as he came through, he took it. He fed him, gave him a place to stay, put some stuff in his hands, and sent him on down the road and said, God bless you. If I can help you again, let me know. His resume, it says he was a person of faithfulness. Secondly, it says he was a person of focus. I love uh, verse 7. He says this, man, uh, because for the Lord's, for his name's sake, they went forth 
taking nothing of the Gentiles. See, he understood that as he blessed these itinerant preachers, persons after a godly sword in verse 6, that he did a godly thing in sending them on down the road, being better, that means bring, bring forward, being better in their journey than they were when they got there. He understood that he wasn't doing it for himself, or he wasn't really doing it for them. He was doing it for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And you see, he was focused understanding that, man, it's really not about me. It's really not about the church. It really isn't about that preacher that came by. It's about Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was a person of focus. You look up here at me, I don't know how good your eyes are today, but, but you know why you do something makes an awful lot of difference. If you look up there at me, you'll see that I didn't shave this morning. I mean, if you look up here at me, I'm trying to keep up with some of you handsomer men in the household. How many of y'all here? Hey, I'm trying to get a little facial hair going. You say, well, I've never seen you with a beard. You know why? I absolutely hate it. How many of y'all here? Hey, I hate it. I absolutely do. Man, I've tried before, and I, I can't make it by this first day or two where, where it ab aggravates you and itches you half to death, man. I'll make it three days, and then I run in there and shave her just as tight as I can. Sometimes I'll shave two or three times to make sure I got it all, man. I, I just don't like having a beard. You say, well, why didn't you shave today? Well, it wasn't because I didn't have enough time. I had an extra hour of sleep. I mean, I, I could have done it. I'll tell you why. Man, I took my girls out to a, to a movie the other night. We, we went out together. That's the first movie we've seen, the four of us, in a long, long time. Uh, we went in, bought some tickets. I, I went up to the counter. They went on into the theater. I went up to the counter to get a little popcorn. I was getting it, and the guy said, what are you going to go see? I told him the title of it, and he said, oh, man, I'm sorry. How many of y'all here? That's what he said to me. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, that's a chick flick extraordinaire. How many of y'all? Hey, he said, was Fury sold out? That's what he asked me. Hey, man, was it sold out? Why aren't you in there watching the war movie? Why are you doing? I said, well, I'm here with my wife and my two girls. He said, say no more. How many of y'all here? Well, hey, I, I'm praying for you as you go. So we went in and watched this little chick flick, man, and they always have guys in them. I think one of the hallmarks of a chick flick is they have a lot of guys in there who take their shirts off often. How many of y'all, hey, I can't tell you how many times they took their shirts off during this movie over there. I, I can't hardly tell you that. And man, they're not ugly guys. They're, they're always good looking guys. And I mean, I, I try to come up with a word today to talk about that, but the only word I ever hear the ladies saying, I'm not even sure what this means, but they're yummy. How many of y'all, hey, that's what I hear ladies saying all the time. Man, here are these guys on the screen taking their shirts off and running around on oh my soul and telling stories about love and mushy things. And I'm a love guy. That's just me. That's who I am, so I fit in okay. During one scene, my dear wife leaned over and kissed me on the neck and whispered in my ear. She said, wow. Man, if you had a beard like that, I don't know what <laughs> Am I telling the truth, baby? I'm not telling the I'm, I'm telling the truth. So hence this morning, baby, hey, here I am. You know what I did? I went home, grabbed every can of shaving cream I had, and threw it in the trash. I mean, hey, hey, I, I got a brand new Norelco razor. I threw her right down in the pasture in the cold last night. I ain't ever shaving again as far as I'm concerned. But never gonna shave again. Motivation. I love my wife. Dearly. She's the apple of my eye. I'd do anything for her. I sure would. You know why you do a thing matters. If you'd have asked me, sorry, I'd have went home shaved. How I many of y'all here? Hey, why you do a thing matters? It wasn't for your sake. For her sake. You know what John says? 
He did it for Jesus' sake. Let that sink in. He did what he did. Not for himself. He did what he did not for those preachers that were coming by. He did what he did. Because of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And church, that ought to motivate everything that we do in this house and in our lives. When we sing today, it oughtn't to be for our sake and so we can pat one another on the back and say how beautiful it was. And it was beautiful today. I'm thankful for this worship choir. And man, that band that adds so much to it. I'm thankful for Ed and I'm thankful for Sandra. But what I'm thankful of most of all is they're not up here doing it, I believe, to the fiber of my core. They're not up here doing it for their sake. They're up here doing it for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's what it ought to be about. I'm here to tell you, I'm not up here preaching today so that you can come out the door and hug me around the neck and say, Pastor, we love you and we're glad to have you. I'm up here today preaching for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When you share the gospel, do it for the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When you go on that mission trip, go not for yourself. Go for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Beloved, we'll spend eternity worshiping and praising and honoring the name above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That ought to be our focus on every hand's turn. Gaius was a focused man. That was on his resume. He said, man, he's faithful. He said, man, he's, he's focused. Thirdly, I want you to see this. He calls him a fellow helper. Verse 8, he says, therefore we ought to receive such. He's saying, man, we ought to receive the men of God. We ought to, to take that opportunity to bless them as they come through. That we might be fellow helpers to the truth. He wasn't a maverick out there on his own. He was a fellow helper. What a descriptive word. A fellow helper. He was someone who came alongside and partnered with people so that the gospel might be preached. He was a fellow helper. Church, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a better thing that be said of the ministry of Trinity of Fairy than they are fellow helpers. They come alongside you. They come alongside you for the sake of Jesus and so that the gospel might be flooded. Can you think of a better thing that guys could have heard than John to say, thanks for helping. One of these days, I'll have a face-to-face -face meeting. It won't be with the Apostle John. It won't be with Paul. It won't be with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It'll be with Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And my earnest desire is that he would look at me and say, Son, thank you for helping the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a resume. 
you fit here today? You examine yourself. Do you see yourself as that helping person? Oh, I know you're not perfect. Neither am I. Thanks be unto God for grace. I'm just saying, is it my heart's desire? And is it what I choose to, to be a help to the things that God's doing? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. As Stephen comes, Ed comes. How do you stack up? In the light of the divine revelation of God, man, Gaius' life bears out as the highest example possible of a helper. How do you stack up? Where do we stack up as a church? Are we those positive people? Are we those encouraging people? Are we those loving people? Are we those people who come alongside folks? Leave them better than when we first encountered them. Check your relationships. As this praise begins to cover us, check your relationships. What are those who count the most? I'm not talking about the world's opinion or some fly-by-night opinion, but those who count the most in your life, what do they say of you? They say, wow, I love you. I truly love you and I'm thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you for being who you are. Check your reputation. What is it that's consistently said of you? What is your spiritual rep today? What is that thing? Then when folks say your name that they think of in the spiritual realm, what is that? Man, today I'm not talking about someone else. I'm talking about me. I'm not looking at you and analyzing you. I'm looking at me today. What's your resume? Are you faithful? Are you focused? Are you really a, a fellow helper? You know the only way you will be is if the Lord puts that spirit in you. That's not the human spirit. It's got to be the Holy Spirit down inside you working in you and through you. So Lord, would you pray in your seat if this is you? Would you just pray, Lord, help me to be a helper. Lord, help my life to look like this. Help me be that one, not that stands in the way, but that one that feathers someone's journey. Help me not be that person that's critical, but that person that's upbuilding in other people's lives. You know, if you'll just show up, God will do the hard work. He's just asking you to allow Him to work in you. That's what the testimony of guys was, in you and through you. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.